Welcome. You're listening to Gravity Healthcare Hacks with your host, Melissa Brown, Chief Operating Officer from Gravity Healthcare Consulting and self-professed healthcare nerd. Monthly, we will provide industry expertise and tips to help keep your feet firmly on the ground in the world of healthcare. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. I've got to admit, I can't take credit for the title of this podcast. Our shout out today goes to Mark Parkinson of ACHA. He's the first one that said the three-day stay waiver is not a license to skill. So today we're going to be discussing what the three-day stay waiver is and why it was activated during the public health emergency from COVID-19 and how you can appropriately and effectively leverage it to offer the best services to the seniors in your care. Now, this was recorded on September 17, 2020, and so it's just reflective of our information up through that date. But what we know is that the 1135 waiver can be activated during a public health emergency or natural disaster at the discretion of CMS and only when certain requirements are met. The basic goal here is to ensure access to appropriate services for all beneficiaries in the midst of unusual and extenuating circumstances. While there are certain waivers that are more often issued during a natural disaster like a major flood, a hurricane, or wildfires, these two COVID-19 specific waivers are unusual and have not been released in quite a while. Basically, the COVID-19 related 1135 blanket waiver has two elements we will discuss today. The three-day stay waiver and the waiver of the requirement for a 60-day wellness period prior to the resumption of skilled services. Blanket waiver is important here, and that's an element of the 2020 waivers that's a bit more unusual. Providers do not need to apply for blanket waivers because they automatically apply to all Medicare providers during the public health emergency. Normally, waivers are only extended to specific geographical areas that are affected, but this blanket waiver covers everyone who meets the qualifications. So the public health emergency, or PHE, keeps on getting extended. What we're hearing from our advocacy groups tied directly to Medicare decision makers is that they expect to extend the PHE through at least the end of 2020. In my opinion, and it's just that, my opinion, it will extend uh, through at least the spring of 2021. I think it will be dependent upon how quickly we can develop and deploy an effective vaccine, but you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. In particular, Leading Age National has reached out to CMS directly twice in the last month or so to confirm that the three-day stay waiver is still in effect. There had been some hospitals out there saying that it was terminated, but we want you to know that information is incorrect. CMS has now verified twice over the last month to say that they expect the three-day stay waiver to remain in effect through the entirety of the PHE. So what is the three-day waiver? The three-day stay waiver is simply the waiver of the requirement for a resident to receive three days of a qualifying inpatient hospital stay in order to be eligible for SNF benefits. What are some of the real-life examples of when this can be used? One key to remember is that the beneficiary must be directly impacted by COVID-19 in order for the waiver to be activated. So, if COVID-19 had nothing to do with why the resident didn't have a qualifying hospital stay, then you can't activate skilled care for that resident. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the SNF facility has to be in an active outbreak area, but if the hospital the resident would have gone to is in an active COVID outbreak area, for example, then the waiver could be in effect. Okay, so let's break down some actual examples of when you can and cannot leverage the three-day stay waiver. If a SNF long-term care resident has COVID-19, but the hospital is at or beyond surge capacity, 
and you think that the SNF can provide adequate care for the resident's acute needs, then you could skill that resident directly from long-term care. And this is a critical point I want to emphasize. You must be able to safely care for all of the resident's clinical needs in order to keep them at the SNF and not transfer them to the hospital. And what is it that you're doing through your documentation and policy to show that you are providing even more oversight and monitoring than you would for even a typical skilled resident who's presumably beyond their acute phase because they already completed a qualifying hospital stay? This is an important element and one you don't want to skim over. Make sure your policy and procedure has this covered. We have clients in New York and New Jersey who were in the epicenter of the worst of the early COVID outbreaks, and some of them are being told by their hospital colleagues that seniors were not going to get the first choice of care in the hospital, and that hospitals were going to do their best, but they just couldn't provide the comprehensive care that some of the less ill seniors needed. What's more, if ventilators became scarce, the hospitals were already prepared to give a vent to a younger patient and would not give the vent to a senior instead, especially one from long-term care. While we may think that is unconscionable, the truth is that some decision has to be made in those circumstances, and so we understand somebody has to go without. Knowing this, some of our clients cleverly kept these residents in their facilities, increasing the level of services they were offering in the SNF, and of course, isolating them, etc. Perhaps you have a long-term care resident or a patient who's from home who has a new diagnosis that's not COVID-19 and they refuse to go to the hospital because maybe the hospital has an active outbreak or the resident's afraid to receive care at the hospital due to the risk of contracting COVID-19. This could also be an acceptable time to consider utilizing the waiver, as long as the resident requires skilled care from a clinical perspective. Just make sure your documentation clearly states the connection to COVID-19 and specifically what the resident expressed as his or her wishes for care. The resident could also have COVID-19 and just refuse to go to the hospital, worried about the lack of adequate care for seniors. This resident could be skilled for COVID-19 and transferred directly to skilled care from long-term care. Perhaps the resident or community patient has a non-COVID-19 medical issue, but the hospital is at or beyond surge capacity. This resident could also be directly admitted to skilled care and the waiver could be activated. Another uh, circumstance I recently discussed with an MDS guru is that of an independent living resident who, from the isolation and reduced activity imposed by COVID-19, has had a significant functional decline and now requires a sniff level of services. In most cases, without COVID, that resident would have gone to the hospital first, had a qualifying stay, and then transferred to the sniff. But because the resident may have concerns about contracting COVID at the hospital or because the hospital doesn't have capacity for the resident, et cetera, you could skill that resident directly from the ILF into the SNF with the primary reason for skilling being the functional decline along with any associated medical changes. While the resident is there, you're likely to also quarantine them for COVID for 14 days and increase your observation of them to make sure you catch any symptoms of COVID. In this case, this increased observation for COVID only further supports the appropriateness of skilling that resident, and all the supportive document, documentation in the chart would be essential. Another good example is a beneficiary who was receiving Medicare-covered home health services and who was admitted directly to the SNF from the community. Assuming that the beneficiary requires medical care and needed to evacuate due to an emergency related to COVID or perhaps lack of access to adequate care due to a COVID outbreak or home health visiting limitations, the resident cannot safely be maintained at home and thus needs skilled care. 
probably one of the most common instances for the use of the three-day stay waiver is less than three days at a hospital. Perhaps a resident with or without COVID-19 has only one or two days of an inpatient stay, or they went to the ER, or they were only at the hospital for observation, especially in surge capacity situations. In these circumstances, it can be appropriate to apply the waiver, as long as the reason that a qualifying hospital stay was not achieved was due to COVID-19. And again, you'll want to make that very clear in your documentation. Okay, so let's move on to the next element of this waiver. Residents who can activate their 100 skilled days again, even without a 60-day wellness period. Now, I think this is likely to be one of the most misapplied elements of the rule. This is not to be used for someone who has a wound or a feeding tube who in the regular course of care exhausted their 100 days and now you want to reactivate another 100 days. In that case, there's only one reason why you could apply this waiver. If the resident gets COVID-19 prior to the completion of the 60-day wellness period and you want to skill them for COVID care, then you can activate a new 100-day skilled period. I expect this to be something that is highly scrutinized by the MAX because of the risk of significant abuse of this privilege. So use it with caution and make sure your reasoning is well documented, probably by the DON, MDS, and the physician. The Part A SNF coverage would also be available to any such beneficiary who was evacuated from a non-institutional setting in an emergency area and who requires skilled care in connection with an emergency regardless of the location of the SNF that provides the post-emergency or disaster care. Finally, some providers have considered extending the skilled stay beyond 100 days and starting a new episode of care because a beneficiary cannot transition to the next level of care or home due to the emergency. However, in these cases, the waiver does not apply and Part B services and payer coverage should be activated instead when the 100 days are exhausted. It's important to note that if you utilize this waiver for the three-day stay and or for the reactivation of 100 skilled days, you must add the DR or disaster-related modifier to your UBO4 for billing. In this case, the fields that ask for the qualifying hospital stay will not be required or included on the UBO4. In addition, providers should include remarks indicating declared emergency slash disaster on their remarks page for tracking and verification purposes. Now, if you are not aware of the DR modifier and you've already submitted claims and they were paid, good news, CMS says don't worry about it. However, if they've not been paid yet, you're going to want to resubmit them with the appropriate modifiers because the claims could get denied due to the missing modifiers. When filing claims, CMS has advised operators to compare the actual care provided with the course of action they would have taken if the COVID-19 pandemic never occurred. Unless the two are exactly the same, the provider would determine that the treatment has been affected by and therefore is related to the emergency, CMS notes. As a final note, all of the examples in this podcast were for educational purposes only, and each individual resident case would need to be reviewed by your clinical team, and the appropriateness of the waiver would need to be determined on a case-by-case basis. If you're unsure of whether you can or should utilize these waivers, we recommend contacting your MAC directly, and they can advise you on specific cases, or you can reach out to us at gravityhealthcareconsulting.com. Thanks for joining us, and if you enjoy today's content, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Remember, it's not just what you know, but how you apply it that makes all the difference. See you next time.